Joining us from Colorado with another episode of Where Are They Now? A's first baseman Mike Epstein, who was with the club in 71 and 72. Went to Cal as a football and baseball player. Had a lot of success in the big leagues outside of the A's, but a lot to unpack with the athletics in that short amount of time that Mike was with us. And uh, Mike, great to visit with you. How are things in Colorado? Uh, cold as usual. <laughs> <laughs> How much are you paying attention to the game of baseball these days? Well, you know, I love the game. Uh, you know, I mean, when you put that many years into it and enjoyed playing it, um, it's hard to get it out of your system. So I look I look at the games uh, in a different light today because I think the players are so much better than they were when I played. Uh, I mean, I watch some of the plays they make and uh, some of the swings they take at bat and the pitches that they make and I, uh, I'm amazed at how the game has changed in a, in a positive direction. Mike, you were a slugging first baseman in the big leagues, and there's a lot to get to before we, we see the time when you reach the big leagues with Baltimore. Just, if you would, uh, recall some of the great times you had at Berkeley, at Cal, as both a football and, and baseball player, and, and how that conversion came for you from being a, a, football, a football fullback for, Mark, uh, for Marv Levy and then becoming a, a baseball player at Cal. <laughs> this is the most amazing story, uh, and I and I tell it frequently because people ask. And uh, uh, as you know, I did go to uh, Cal on a football scholarship and, and really enjoyed playing there under Marv Levy. And of course, Bill Walsh was there and Mike White. So it was a great coaching staff. Um, but uh, I considered myself. Uh, I'm, I'm an, I was always a good baseball player, uh, but. Uh, uh, I decided I was going to get take that scholarship uh, to Cal instead of Stanford, and uh, uh, so I, I, I played my my first year, freshman year. We had a great team. We had a lot of great uh, uh, people that came in uh, with me in the recruiting class, and uh, then after my sophomore year, I mean, you play a lot of minutes in the games, and you really get beat up and. Uh, heck, some of the midterms that, uh, examinations that I took, I couldn't even hold a pen to write in the blue book. So it was, it was pretty tough. But the next spring, um, as a sophomore, uh, uh, some of the football players and I were working out up in Strawberry Canyon, you know, lifting weights. And we walked by the, uh, uh, the freshman baseball field. And uh, they were practicing. Al Matthews was the coach. And um, as they're walking by, Al says to the players, he was still in batting practice, he says to the players, to his players, he says, you know, these guys, football players, look at them, big and tough, and they can't play baseball. They don't have the physical ability. They're not really athletes. They're just big grunts. We all laughed and said, come on, coach, that's not even fair. And I happen to be closest to the playing field. And, he, uh, and Al says, uh, uh, hey, Epstein, you're big and tough. Why don't you come in here and show us what you can do with a bat? And I said, oh, come on, coach. I have played baseball in a couple of years. And, and uh, you know, I, I I don't think so. I said, I'll, I'll just uh, wind up getting embarrassed. And he says, ah, oh, come on, what the hell? This is just a lot of fun. So 
I said, all right. And I went in and picked up a bat and he threw a couple of balls to me and I took a couple of pitches and I swung and missed it about four or five in a row. And Al turns around to his team that was in the field and he says, I told you, these guys can't do what you guys can do. They're not even real athletes. So I say, well, you know, coach, uh, you know, that's the way it is. And I start to walk out of the batter's box and says, oh, how about a couple of more? And I said, oh, okay, why not? So then I hit a line drive to right field and then I hit another line drive to right field. And then I hit two balls over the fence. And he turned around and, and, and after looking at the balls that went way over the fence, he turns around and he says, uh, son, we got to talk. And uh, that's how I wound up uh, playing baseball at Cal. I mean, I, I, I had no intention of doing it, but um, I always was, like I said, uh, pretty good at hitting and, uh, so it turned out to be really a, a great thing, but it's a really a weird story how that happened. And uh, I had talked to Al a number of times after that, especially after I had signed uh, with Baltimore and became professional. And he had, at that point, had gone down to Cal State Hayward uh, as a coach. And a uh, terrific guy, terrific coach, and um, just another great moment I had at Cal. Mike Epstein joining us in our Where Are They Now episode. And, Mike, yes, you played professional baseball. You got to the big leagues. Uh, you played for four future Hall of Fame managers, including the, the time he spent with the A's, which we will get to. But what was it like? Because this doesn't happen for every player to get a chance to play for your country when you played in the Olympics in 1964. Great story. Um, and I tell this one often, too, because – you know, a lot of people ask, well, Mike, what was your biggest, you know, thrill playing uh, playing baseball? Certainly you have some memories and stuff. And probably the, most of them say playing in the World Series in 72 and winning it, that's got to be at the top of the list. And, you know, I say that that was a great achievement and it was something you'll never forget. But I think the, the most memorable moment that I had uh, as a baseball player was uh, – I was selected to play on the first United States Olympic baseball team that went to Tokyo in 1964. And uh, in the final game uh, for the championship, um, we were playing uh, Japan, and you know how baseball crazy they are and were at that time. And in that stadium there, there were 65 or 70,000 people, Japanese people there cheering on their team to beat the United States. And we're sitting in the dugout before the game, me and my teammates, and all of a sudden they start playing the Star Spangled Banner. So we all stand up and, you know, put our uh, hats over our hearts and stand at attention. And I can tell you that I have never felt so proud to be an American standing there in the midst of all those Japanese people listening to the Star Spangled Banner I had tears in my eyes. I have I have never forgotten that moment, and till the day I die, I will never forget that moment. That that was just so transfixed in my mind at that time, and even today, that I still tell that story. That that's the that's the most memorable moment I've ever had in sports. Mike, you were an accomplished hitter in college, and even beginning in your minor league career, you're drafted or you're signed rather by the Baltimore Orioles but then you get traded to the uh, Washington Senators and it began what what I understand was a pretty long relationship even away from the game 
with Ted Williams. I mean, it's one thing to be a left-handed slugger like you were, and then to have that opportunity to, to pick the brain of arguably the greatest hitter in the history of the game and, and how that relationship may have helped kind of shape you and the rest of your, of your career and your rest of your thoughts about uh, the approach to, to hitting a baseball. What was that like? Uh, well, you know, uh, after being the minor league uh, player of the year in uh, 1966 at Rochester, Baltimore didn't have a spot for me. So they wound up, and, and that was a great organization, really professional, and they had some great players, and I wish I could have stayed there. I really enjoyed it. But uh, there was no place for me because I had one of my best friends, Brooke Powell, in my way, and he was great players so they traded me to Washington I went from one of the best organizations baseball to one of the worst and uh, I'll tell you what uh, I was so defeated mentally that um, it really took a toll on my performance and then in 1969 as you said Ted Williams came to the team and became the manager and we had our hot and cold moments. Uh, he was one of those uh, passive-aggressive kind of personalities. Uh, he could change in a moment, and uh, but he certainly knew hitting. And I listened to him, and the things that he said just made so much sense. Uh, because one of the things about baseball that was interesting at that time, it wasn't until 1972 that Major League Baseball even had dedicated hitting coaches. I mean, every it, before that, it was always, uh, you know, a teammate would come up to you and say, hey, you ought to do this or try this. Or one of the coaches would say, oh, you know what I used to do when I went into a slump, one of those things. But Ted Williams had some really great things to say, things that made so much sense, you know, that uh, uh, I had a great season that year and I was the uh, – Major League, American League, Major League win player of the year, which they had at that time. I won it in the American League, and Willie McCovey won it in the National League. It was a great honor. Uh, but I hit 30 uh, home runs for Ted Williams that year and, and knocked in almost 100, and it, it was fantastic. And the next year was a good year again, and then uh, they decided they were going to go in a different direction, and so Daryl Knowles and I, we got traded to Oakland in 72. But the things that I took uh, most away from Ted was every time he would say something which I would consider a pearl, I'd write it down. I always kept a piece of paper in my back pocket during a ball game, and I just write it down. And after I retired, went into private business and had my own company, and uh, I used to do business uh, in Florida. I was living in the Bay Area at that time, and. Uh, one time I went down there and Ted, uh, uh, I call I called Ted because I got his phone number from um, a sports writer in Boston, and I called him and I said, you know, Ted, I'm down here in Tampa, and I, you know, would you, I'd like to see you. I mean, would you like to see me? And he says, Why, you betcha, come on up. He said, I'll send the car for you. I said, No, I have a car. So anyway, that started a a ten year relationship where we would just discuss hitting. And uh, he was, I, I mean, it was one of those once in a lifetime things and we became really, really close friends. And uh, I took all the information that I got that, that he taught me and uh, uh, I started to teach that concept uh, 
to because I found a way to teach it. Ted said you could never teach it. I found a way to teach it, and that's when he really said, "Wow, you really got something going here, Mike." He says, "I could, I, I see what you're doing." Of course, we had stop action, you know, frame by frame video. At that point, you could see things that really happened. So I developed a way to teach it. And unfortunately, uh, I was way ahead of my time because everybody at that time in baseball was taught to swing down and hit ground balls because of the hard astroturf infield. And I said, no, you got to elevate your swing plane and match the plane of the pitch, uh, your swing to the plane of the pitch. And anyway, uh, I, I developed a, a tremendous following doing that. Unfortunately, a lot of the players who had, did so well after learning this uh, were blacklisted from the teams that they played on because the coaches, well, they didn't understand it and that wasn't conventional wisdom at the time. So anyway, uh, it was a long, hard battle, but all the players that you see today are doing what I brought into the game back uh, in the late 90s and uh, into the teens. Uh, and finally, I retired and my son took over and he's probably the best hitting instructor in the country today uh, uh, and because he's taken all those concepts and, and he's been with me all that time but you see these players having great offensive years today and I sit back and I say unbelievable I mean it's just a pleasure to watch these guys their swings are just absolutely fantastic before we get to uh, that discussion, I'd like to hear some more about the, the hitting schools that you developed with your son. You know, you kind of touched on it. It was May of 1971. You leave the Senators and you go to the Oakland Athletics. Now, again, you, you mentioned the Orioles, a good organization. The Senators, not so much. The A's, that had to be uh, very interesting for you to walk into that clubhouse. At what point did Mike Epstein realize, well, these are talented guys, but this is going to be a roller coaster ride, and let's see, let's see how this thing turns out as you put on the white shoes and became a part of the green and gold. Well, it, it, I remember where I was in Minneapolis. Uh, we just got finished playing the Twins in a night game, and Ted called me into his office and he says, "Mike, I, I got to tell you this. I, I something I, I really don't want to do, but uh, the owner is." says we're going to make some changes and this and that and I sat back in a chair and I said Ted you got to be kidding me he says uh, oh. he says uh, you've been traded to the Oakland A's and I I the first thing that went through my mind was you got to be kidding me these guys this is what you know what a team and I and I knew a lot of the guys you know that I played against in high school and uh, in LA and stuff like that and uh, and they were all my age basically and I said this is unbelievable and I I called my wife and you know I said hey you're going home because she's uh, she's from Stockton California and all her family lived there and everything so it was just an unbelievable experience and I, I know as soon as I walked into that locker room I felt wanted um, and to this day, in the two years that I was there, uh, they were they they were and are some of the greatest friends that I've had. Uh, they're just they were an unbelievable bunch of guys, and we all pulled together. We I did have one unfortunate incident uh, that got me traded uh, in '72, but those guys were great teammates, and uh, when people say what do you take away from your days playing baseball uh, 
and I still say camaraderie is is one of them. They were great guys. Uh, I enjoyed my time there. And after I got traded, um, it wasn't the same anymore. And after about a year and a half of going to another team, I I just decided that uh, I had lost interest. Uh, I was so deflated when I got traded. It was tough. I mean, Charlie Finley was a pain, you know, and a couple of teammates were pains, you know, it always happens. But, great experience uh never forget it i still consider myself uh, above all the teams i played for in oakland a it, it seems like mike that you're not alone every guy that was in that clubhouse during that time talks about you know there was uh you know there was camaraderie there was also times where there was heated arguments but when you crossed the line and you went on the field to play this is when we really banded together to show how talented we were. And I wonder uh, your thoughts about how much Dick Williams meant to, to making sure that, that that sense played itself out. He was such a disciplinarian. He was a taskmaster. He really wanted to emphasize, you know, playing the game the right way. How much, how, what was it like to see all that come together? Things were understandably maybe hectic in the clubhouse, but when you went out on the field, it was a completely different story. Well, it was, um, and like you said uh, earlier, that I did play for four Hall of Fame managers, and uh, they were all different. They were all different, and Dick was—he uh, was—he was a tough guy. Um, and those are the kind of players or coach or managers that I played best for. Uh, uh, Earl Weaver, I was the minor league player of the year under him at Rochester. Um, he was a tough guy in his own way um, uh, and Dick was one of those guys and Ted was in his own way as well uh, and so was Whitey Herzog but uh, as far as Dick was concerned Dick had a tough tough job I mean he really did and uh, I had seen him a number of years uh, after when he was a scout and uh, he said to me he said Mike you have no difficult you know you have no idea how difficult it was being a manager for Charlie Finley and trying to keep all the players on the team happy. And I said, well, I'll tell you, Dick, uh, from my perspective, you did a hell of a job and it was fun playing for you because all he demanded was, he says, I don't care what you do off the field. He says, I just want to make sure that when you get and put on your white shoes, that you're, you're for one for all and all for one. And you play that way. And I remember we played a game uh, in Anaheim and it was a double header uh, no it was a single game and uh, it was a night game and it went into extra innings and we didn't leave LA for New York we had a double header the next day in New York and we didn't leave the airport in Anaheim till probably 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the morning and by the time we got into uh in New York, it was about 11 o'clock in the morning. We didn't have time to go to the hotel. We just went straight to the ballpark. Nobody slept. Everybody was playing cards, you know, and having a good time. And anyway, make a long story short, uh, we went out and beat the the Yankees in a in a doubleheader. We shut them out two games that day uh, with no sleep. And after the game, these writers, New York writers, came up to Dick and said. Geez, you know, I mean, how, how do you explain you guys get no sleep and go out there and 
just run over the uh, run over the Yankees. And Dick says, "Easy, these guys never sleep at night." I said, "It's just another normal ball game for them." <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm enjoying these, okay, I'm enjoying I, these stories, Mike, for sure. Yeah, you were, I, you were, I, I mean, it, it's a great story. And, and Dick, uh, and you know, he just didn't care what you did off the field. Just be a man when you got on the field. Mike, you were first baseman. So when you came over to Oakland in 71 as a first baseman, you got a chance to play behind one of the greatest pitching performances in the history of the game with this young fireballer named Vida Blue. I know you had Blue Moon and you had Catfish and you had others, but uh, take me through those those games and, and watching this young kid just take uh, the baseball world by storm. And you had a pretty good pretty good seat to watch that happen. Well, you know, I did, and uh, it's hard to explain how some players, great players, they they just have a way of slowing the game down. Um, so it's in perspective, and they don't get rattled. They just get out there, and it's like they're born born to be doing what they're doing. And Vita was one of those kids, and I've seen Vita a couple of times, you know, since, uh, you know, we retired. And... Uh, he just, he was electrifying. He really was. And and sometimes I would wonder, you know, watching him and saying, what exactly does he do that he, that, that he's so effective? Uh, because it wasn't that he, like, you know, he threw hard, but not, I mean, there were guys that threw harder. Um, there were guys that had better breaking balls. They had guys that had better control. So it was one of those inexplicable things from, for me at that time to understand the success that he was having, but gosh, you just don't question it when a young kid like that goes out there and just uh, pitches his uh, rear end off and uh, has that great success. I mean, it was just, it, he was fun to watch. Catfish, on the other hand, was an, another pitcher that, and he was one of my best friends, and you know, it, 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 he just, didn't have a great breaking pitch. He didn't throw overly hard. He had good control. But uh, these guys had real heart. Um, they just challenged hitters when they had to. And uh, a lot of hitters, a lot of a lot of pitchers, you know, didn't do that in those days. But they did. Kenny Holtzman was another one. Uh, you know, not overly impressive and in, in, with his uh, velocity or his breaking pitch, good control, but a big heart. And you, once you have a big heart when you're up there as a pitcher, you can do a lot of great things. And these guys did. They were absolutely fantastic, and it was so much fun to play behind them. What I wanted to ask you about, Yourself and Reggie and and Sal Bando, Joe Rudy, uh, Campy Campaneris, you lose to the Orioles in that 71 postseason, and the Orioles were an outstanding team, as we know. But it, everybody that I've talked to about that playoff was, uh, their understanding was, we're going to be back, and we're a really good club, and we're really coming together. Uh, what was it like at the end of the 72 season, getting ready to get back to the postseason, and and truly believe that this was going to happen as you were getting ready to take on the Tigers that year in the postseason. Yeah, you know, uh, you're right about 71. Um, you know, the Orioles had 
they, they just had a great team. They had great pitching. They had uh, great hitting, great defense. And they were a seasoned bunch. They'd been around for a long time. And and a lot of them were, you know, really, really close friends of mine. And playing against them, you just sort of felt like, you know, it, it, it was a monumental task if we could beat them because we were a young bunch of guys all about the same age and uh, we didn't have that kind of playoff experience so we did uh, lose out to them but I don't think we felt like we were embarrassed we just felt like the timing was wrong and uh, we vowed that we were going to come back the next year and we were going to get into the World Series and of course we played the big red uh, the big red machine and, uh, you know, uh, we weren't, we didn't really care. I mean, we, we got through Detroit and that was, that was a tough series. Uh, Billy Martin's team and, uh, they had a lot of veterans and we wound up beating them. And then we went straight to Cincinnati after that. And, uh, I remember I, they kept talking about the big red machine and I had a t-shirt made up that said the big green machine. And, you know, and it was just fun, little rallying kind of thing for all of us. And um, but we went in, and uh, we never really—I I, I don't think the temperament or our attitude was really any was well. It was really quite a bit different than when we went in against Baltimore. Baltimore was sort of, you know, do we really belong here against a team like uh, <clears throat> like this? And with Cincinnati and said, we're going to beat these guys. And um, I'm telling you, there were so many clutch performances in that World Series. I mean, uh, Raleigh uh, with, with that 3-2 uh, count against Johnny Bench where Dick uh, came out and said, hey, look, he says, we're, we're not going to walk this guy. We're going to look like we're going to intentionally walk him. And then uh, Gino, uh, Gene Dennis, I want you to come in behind you know, back behind the plate and uh, we're going to strike him out. And I remember Raleigh saying something like, uh, hey, this ain't Little League, Dick. <laughs> something like that. And what happens if I, if I don't get it over the plate and Dick looked at him straight in the eye and said, you will. And he walked off and they caught Bench with the uh, bat on the shoulder and Joe, Joe Rudy's uh, clutch catch out against the left field wall um, in game seven. I mean, these were, I mean, these guys had our teammates just they were tough they were mentally tough they were physically tough they were gifted athletes they I, it's hard to it's hard to describe I mean it was the best team I ever played on and uh, uh, just just a great group of guys and like I said uh, uh, I, I, I can't believe I was traded after the season the season uh, because uh, I saw Dick Dick Williams, like I said, a few years later when he was uh, scouting, and he says, "Mike, I got to tell you, that was the toughest decision I ever had to make. I, it was something Charlie said we're going to do, and that was it. And I had to go along with it. And uh, um, but he says, I, I will say that uh, for the years that I had you, you were the, the top five or six offensive players that I ever coached, and I thought that was really." really a, a nice thing for him to say. Mike, you kind of glossed over the, you know, the 
the first series, the the championship series against the Tigers, because you were an everyday player and you're facing tough left-handers and Mickey Lolich and Woody Fryman and, and Dick Williams has you, you know, in the lineup and you're playing against these guys. It has to mean an awful lot. You had a home run against Mickey in game four. That had to be a, a special a moment for for a player in the in that individual moment for Mike Epstein just to be able to say I've done that in a postseason game on the biggest stage. Well, you know, Lolich was a tough pitcher. I mean, he he had a punch and he was a donut king. He loved donuts and he owned donut restaurants in Detroit and stuff. But, but I'll tell you what, the son of a gun could really pitch. He had a great sinker. He threw hard enough to make it effective and he had a great slider. So he was tough on left-handers and uh, you know, uh, left-handers did give me give me problems, uh, and uh, uh, some left-handers I hit okay, and others, uh, you know, I shouldn't have been in there to begin with. But uh, they were tough. Some of them were, re- most of them were really tough on me. But anyway, Dick says, "Hey, you're our offensive punch man. Uh, you're going to be in there today." we need your bat in the lineup. And I said, okay. And Lolich was cruising along. And then I had a line drive in the upper deck, I think off him on a breaking pitch that, um, and I didn't realize it until years later, Monty Moore said that that home run got us into the world series. We wind up, wound up beating Detroit and, uh, and eventually did get in the world series, but they were a tough, tough team, veteran team. And boy, they came to play. They were tough, but, uh, we were tougher, and we went on to play Cincinnati. There's a long drive. It's made tied up. It does. We got a tie ball game as Epstein hit a line drive into the right field seats. No doubt about it. He caught it on a line and hit the upper deck, and we got a 1-1 ball game. We're winding down our Where Are They Now conversation with A's first baseman Mike Epstein. Mike, I want to step a step away from this because through, through your hitting schools that you've had for years and with your son Jeff running a lot of these programs, uh, not only in Colorado but around the country, I'm curious on uh, – you mentioned this a little bit earlier. You, you really uh, enjoy watching the modern player perform. And I just wonder, as you you know love the game and the game meant so much to you, do you feel like – that the game is in uh, in the right hands, and you've got kids that really have that kind of passion, and hopefully can continue to steward uh, this great pastime of ours, and, and continue to play the game at the highest level. Yeah, um, it's that's always been something that I've I've always taken to heart, trying to help kids get to a place where, you know, I never I I always wanted to be a big league player even when I was a young kid living in in, in New York City um, always wanted to be a baseball player and uh, you know when you stop and think that how does a guy a, a left-handed Jewish kid you know from New York City you know wind up being a, a cleanup hitter on a World Series team uh, that that wins the World Series I mean how, how how does that happen? And, you know, it, sure, you have to have talent, and sure, you have to have a lot of uh, <clears throat> these variables that go into the making of, of, of a professional player. But the one thing that people overlook all the time is it takes a certain player, a certain kind of 
tenacity, a certain kind of perseverance, a, a certain kind of um, grit that even with all the talent that you have makes you somebody who is going to over overachieve and get to the major leagues. And I've, 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 I've taught so many players and my son has too. And that's the one thing that we see with all the, all the really terrific players that, uh, that uh, we have instructed that have gotten to the big leagues. Uh, Eric Chavez was one of the kids, uh, you know, it, it, it just the one thing that they lack is it's just the way they're brought up today. I think they just well, okay, I'll take it or I'll leave it, and if I don't make it, my dad will leave me a trust fund. You know, one of those kinds of attitudes, and um, and, and and so that's the one thing that we find that it's not so much the ability. A lot of kids have ability, and they, I mean, you can see these kids, these skateboarders and stuff like that. And, I mean, there's great kids with great ability out there and could make it to the big leagues, but they don't have the heart to get to the big leagues. I mean, it's a tough, tough road. And uh, that's why I say when I see the players playing today, I know what they went through. And, you know, everybody said, God, they make so much money. And, you know, well, I've taught these players. I've instructed them. I know, but they're still people. They know what it took to get to the big leagues, and money not notwithstanding. I mean, I I'm sure all my teammates on the A's would agree that we were born too soon. But you know, it, it it's not so much that. It's the fact that they're still human beings, and they have persevered, and they have worked their tails off to get there. So when people say, "Oh, they make too much money," and this and that, well, they make too much money because the media allows them to make that kind of money. Uh, television contracts and stuff, but they deserve it. They really do. You have no idea. <clears throat> Most people don't have any idea what it's like to get up on national television, like in the World Series, and you're there all by yourself. You know, it's not football. Nobody can help you or basketball. You're there all by yourself. And I remember Ted Williams saying one of the most profound things he ever said, and he said, when you are a big league hitter, you got to go to the plate naked. And you got to turn around and you got to show all the fans in the stands, hey, look at me. This is who I am. I got nothing to hide. And I'm not embarrassed. And when you get to the plate, you can't ever feel that anything but looking at the pitcher and trying to find the pitch out of his hand you got to dis dismiss everything else, the people and everything else. It's really a tough thing to do, and that's why I admire all these baseball players today who can get up there and take off their clothes and say, hey, this is all I got. If you don't like it, that's tough, but this is me. And that's what it takes to be a great hitter in today's game. Well, Mike, I, I can't thank you enough for the great memories. Uh, 44 home runs as an athletic, it, it was a short amount of time, but as you have revealed to us today, and I know you have many times over, that you truly believe that 
uh, Oakland was a place that you called home, even though you played for five different teams. This year is the 50th anniversary of 1972. I'm sure there'll be a lot more opportunities to think back to those great days of which you were an integral part of. And thank you so much for joining us in our Where Are They Now episode. It meant an awful lot. It's, it's been my pleasure, and I can truthfully tell you that my wife and I of 56 years are looking forward to seeing all our old friends and reliving the great moments that we had. And thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Mike Epstein joining us, and where are they now? This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.